Hello to all my smooth welders. It's Beautiful Anonymous. One hour, one phone call. No names, no holds barred. I'd rather go one-on-one. I think it'll be more fun. And I'll get to know you, and you'll get to know me. Hello, everybody. Chris Gethard here, as always, hoping that anyone listening to this is safe, healthy, taking care of the people you love, all of those good things. Very sincerely mean it. Thank you for checking in with Beautiful Anonymous. I really hope this show provides you the ability to just hear someone else for an hour. Someone, you know, all of us feel cooped up. You don't get to hear from people. I really hope we've been providing that service for you. I mean it. I really mean it. A lot of the calls we're prioritizing right now, I will tell you, are let's get stuff that's not related to the crisis, the quarantine, the COVID. Give people an hour of escapism. However, we're also getting some calls that are just ground-level personal looks into what's happening. This is one of those. So it's a beautiful call. Our caller tonight is an EMT in Long Island, which I'm sure we've all heard. Originally, it was my neighborhood in Queens, which we talk about. But now they're saying that the curve's starting to flatten in, in Queens, but it's moving out to Long Island. Long Island's still in the thick of it. So this is someone who's, re- I mean, riding around in an ambulance in perhaps the area of the country that is dealing with it the most right now. So a couple of things I want to say about it. One, anytime there's stuff with medical stuff, I want to say this show, we don't research it. We don't fact check it. We're not journalists. We let people tell their own stories in their own words, but it's really, I mean, at times it's grim. At times it's frustrating. At times it's very inspiring. She tells her story beautifully. Also, there are some diversions in there that I think are well worth your time. We get a lot of laughs talking about Wellbutrin, about uh, satanic houses, about getting hit on, uh, about all kinds of things in there. So again, as always, when you talk to another human being for an hour, they come in with the story they want to tell and we discuss it and you can't help but realize along the way that people are well-rounded. There's laughs to be found. There's moments of levity. There's moments of distraction and I think this is a good one to listen to, especially if you want to hear what's going on from somebody who's right there, right in the face of it every day, away from the sensationalism, away from the clickbaity headlines. This is what it really is. Thank you for calling Beautiful Anonymous. A beeping noise will indicate when you are on the show with the host. Hello? Hello? Hello. This is Chris Gathered, isn't it? It is. It is. Yes. Hello. How are you? It's very interesting to hear. You have a very soothing voice. And oh. it's very interesting to hear that over the phone and not just through the speaker on my computer. That's nice. That's nice to hear because I, I think I've mentioned before many times on the show that I um, revile the sound of my voice. Can't stand Doesn't everybody, though? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think so. Um, to answer your question, I would say I'm doing good, uh, healthy, in a safe environment, uh, pretty bored, you know, like we all are. How are you? Bored. Yeah. Yeah. I'm good. I'm, um, as I know you just got the blip, I'm getting ready to go to work in about an hour. I'm working at six o'clock. I start my shift on the ambulance. I'm an EMT uh, in on Long Island um, right now. So wow. it's been very hectic. I picked up, yeah, I picked up some overtime and my, um, right now my, my boyfriend's walking out. I, uh, my family, my little brother has asthma. My dad is immunocompromised. So I actually had to move out and I, thankfully my boyfriend's family is very nice and has let me, um, let me come stay with them so I don't risk bringing anything home to my own family, but he is also essential. So he's walking out to work right now, and then I'm getting ready to go soon. So it's weird because I don't, I don't actually relate to everyone saying, you know, they're bored and they're going stir crazy cabin fever because I'm, I'm still out in the world every day. That's wild. And I don't know how you feel about hearing this over and over again, but I just want to say a huge thank you. Um, just legitimately in a very real way 
thank you for being on the front lines of all this. Yeah, you know, it's weird. I've always, I, I've heard people say, um, you know, talk to like military members that I know who've their mixed feelings on people saying thank you for your service to them and like the feeling of like, well, you know, it's my job, it's my duty and I appreciate the support, but all the mixed feelings. Um, and now relating to that, it's, it's definitely interesting because it's, you know, people say like, oh, you guys are heroes. It's like, well, this is, this I feel like is exactly what, you know, I went into this work for to, to have that calling to step up to the plate when it's needed. Um, but it's, yeah, there's a lot of mixed feelings that go with that. Yeah, yeah. I, I've seen I've seen things that are really inspiring. Like, um, you know, you see the people, you know, everybody stopping their day to, you know, clap at 7 p.m. And then you see, I've seen other things, you know, make the rounds online where you see a doctor holding up a sign that says, please stop calling me a hero and focus yeah. more on getting me masks. I'm putting my life on the line in a way I don't like. And you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I no, I I absolutely because it's seen the the hospitals that I work in Mount of Lot, I've seen, you know, right, the community, people lining up on the sidewalks to cheer. And then you're like, Well, that's really sweet. But then those people lining up on the sidewalks to cheer are wearing um you know, gloves and face masks because they're they're coming outside to cheer. And it's also like, oh, if you just stayed inside, those surgical masks could have been, you could just donate them to the hospital because, you know, I'm using one surgical mask per shift and one 95 for two, three weeks at a time. And you're like, uh, I, I thank you for the support, but also, you know, things could be perhaps done a little more logically. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I don't fault. I don't fault people for wanting to say thank you. It's just, I mean, there's no right answers right now, but it's yeah, a lot it's, going on and people are just trying their best. Very well-intentioned yet frustrating, yeah. I would imagine. How long, yeah. how many, how many masks would you usually go through for a shift? How long would you usually use one of those N N95s? Yeah. So, um, I, before this, we've always had 95s on, our trucks and it's very weird because I feel like a month ago I would have to be explaining what the differences are but I feel like everyone is pretty familiar with it now um we've always had like a PPE kit stored on the truck in case you walk into any situation where you need it and it they had never been broken into before uh for me at least but now um every person in our company is given their own 95 to keep to look after and um Again, whereas before I'd never wore a 95 and I'd only wear a surgical mask if I had a patient. If I had a cough or a sneeze or something, I get bad allergies, so I sneeze a lot. So I'll put on a mask. Honestly, oftentimes more of just a peace of mind thing. So, you know, if I'm coughing or sneezing, I usually know it's just my allergies, but I'll put it on. Or, you know, if someone else I know has respiratory infection, I would put it on. Now we're doing it at the start of your shift, you get... Uh, a surgical mask, and I wear that all day. And then sometimes I wear the 95 all day, um, or I sometimes I take it off just to give myself a little break. But you wear the 95 underneath and the surgical mask on top, and you kind of actually do that because then, as like, if someone coughs at you, the surgical mask is almost like protecting the surface of the 95. Um, so you wear it as a barrier on top. That's a very important difference because I've seen a lot of people who wear both, but wear the 95 with the surgical mask underneath. And that is no bueno because neither of the things can do their job then. There's no tight seal on the 95 and the surgical mask isn't protecting it. Um, so that's my little PSA for everybody. If you have both or the surgical mask on top. So that's what we do. We get one surgical mask per shift. And if it gets soiled, like if we pick someone up who's, coughing all over us before we're able to get a mask on them, then I would switch the surgical mask. Um, I think I've worn up to three in one shift, but usually it's just one for the whole shift. Wow. That's, yeah. That sounds... Which ideally, right, ideally it'd be a different one for each patient. Yeah. 
I mean, what you just like just hearing that you have literally never had to crack it open before. I had no idea. No, like, yeah. The, first of all, is every shift just COVID, COVID, COVID right now? Yeah. So I, the company I work for, um, does a mix. We are not actually nine one one dispatchers. We're a private company, so we do a mix of emergency calls. Um, often from like facilities, nursing homes, group homes, that sort of thing, or just people in the neighborhood who are familiar with our organization. Um, and we do hospital discharges as well, or transfers between hospitals. Um, and since all of this has started, it's very, it's changed from my job being very discharge heavy and a lot of, you know, uh, emergencies would be heart attacks or different kinds of infections and a lot of discharges of, you know, a lot of old ladies who kind of broken their hip and were going to rehab um, to all of a sudden then we were for a couple weeks when this started or a week, I'd say it was dead because no one was going to the hospital if they didn't need to be so no one was being discharged. And it was just a, the occasional COVID call to now it's, my shifts are usually 13 hours. I've been working at least three hours overtime every day now. So usually 16, 17 hour shifts and they're just entirely COVID nonstop, either picking someone up who's in respiratory distress or bringing someone home after they've recovered. I've mentioned on the show a number of times that I live in Jackson Heights and I bet there's people out there right now listening who have mm -hmm. it's rung a bell because it's 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 everybody's calling it the epicenter of the epicenter i live two blocks mm -hmm. from elmhurst hospital and my wife and i we left the neighborhood this was before they told everybody don't leave it, it causes more problems um we would have listened yeah. to that obviously this was before that happened but we left before elmhurst was even in the news because we would hear ambulance sirens and then you'd realize this mm -hmm. is faded into background noise because they're going for 30, 40 minutes straight. And then you realize, yeah. oh, that's not one ambulance. They're just rolling in so often yeah. that the noise never stops. All day long. I actually, I, um, my company, I work in the city, Long Island, kind of everywhere. Just de depending on the shift, I get sent to a different spot. So I've been in Elmhurst a couple of times. Um, and the way I described it when I came home is it looked, and this isn't speaking bad about the, the hospitals, just speaking to the volume of people there, that it looked, the only thing I could just compare it to was a movie about Pearl Harbor. Like just people everywhere, literally could not, not enough room to walk because there were so many patients. And one day when I was there, um, I actually worked a couple hours overtime because we were bringing so many people out of the ER and sending them to other New York City hospitals because Elmhurst had literally hit capacity and they didn't have any beds left. So they couldn't accept any new patients. And what was funny was the next day I heard um, or I, I read I read something online, a comment, someone saying that I live right by Elmhurst Hospital and, wow, we must have peaked because Every day prior to this, I've heard ambulances going nonstop, and I haven't heard any today. So I guess that's a good sign. And I kind of had to break the news and say, I'm sorry, it's actually not a good sign. It's, it's literally because they hit capacity. So they had to tell ambulance companies, don't bring any more patients here because we don't have any more room for them. So, uh, you know, that's something I, I'd never even imagined could have happened before this. It's really... it. it I don't want to make it about me, but living in Jackson Heights was terrible. It was terrifying in the days before. It's scary. I left. And uh, yeah, you know, I, I was lucky enough that a family member had had an empty house upstate. Um, but I, it it was scary to the point where I feel like actual tinges of survivor's guilt. Where I'm like, man, I got to leave and my neighbors didn't. Fuck, like it, oh, hundred percent. It was scary. And uh, I'll tell you, you're being very diplomatic. And I know working in healthcare, you know, everybody's allies. I, 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 will, say <laughs> yeah. the I will say the following. Um, but I want to be clear. I'm saying it with great sympathy. I'm not joking and I'm not criticizing and I'm not making fun. Elmhurst, you're, you're being so kind. Elmhurst is a little rough. It's a little rough, but it's not. Oh, 
<laughs> it, it's, it's, yeah. I want to be clear, and you know this as well as I do. This is not the fault of anybody there. Every borough in New York City has many hospitals, and there's certain hospitals that it's very clear they're not the most well funded. Yeah, they're not the most well funded. They tend to be the ones where maybe the homeless population gets brought to. I know uh-huh. almost a lot of patients from Rikers get brought there. Like a lot of the most put upon people wind up at, at yeah. Rikers. And this is not a hospital that it's uh it, it it is not it's not a place where like you go down to the lobby and there's a Starbucks. It's it's not one of those. And I'm not making fun. I spent a oh. night there. There was oh, a night. Oh no, it, I, yeah. Rough. I, like I, I there You're was right. a night where I thought You're I was right. having a heart attack and I went there, and it was it it, it was an eye opening experience no, because I'm a very it, privileged person. Absolutely, who hasn't I know. Seen that before. I know the hospitals. Right, there's hospitals in Brooklyn and Queens that I know. You know, I've told family like. If there's an emergency and that's the closest one, tell the ambulance crew to take you to this other one instead because you don't want to go there. Yeah. Um, which is, it's, I mean, I have an aunt who lives in uh, um, in Brooklyn and uh, for all intents and purposes, an aunt, um, you know, a woman close to my family who her son called me. He was very concerned because she'd been um, fainting, which I quickly realized was because her oxygen levels were so low that whenever she tried to stand up to go to the bathroom, she was fainting, but she wouldn't go to the hospital because the area around her, the hospitals are notoriously terrible to begin with. And now they're so overwhelmed that she felt like going to one of those hospitals is going to be a death sentence. So, um, it, it, it ended up being that I was actually getting off my shift on the ambulance about that time. And, um, my boyfriend is a saint. It was about two in the morning and I called him. He had just gone off his night shift and he drove me. We went to Brooklyn to pick her up, to bring her to a hospital um, in Nassau County that we knew would be better because the ones that she had called 911, the ones that they would have taken her to would have, they're, they're just, they're, they're not going to, you know, not to say anything with the staff, but as you said, they're underfunded, they're under-resourced. And now she's thankfully got great care at the hospital that she went to. Um, But she is, she just got home and she's feeling the same thing too. The survivor's guilt of, she's like, I'm so happy. I'm good. But you know, someone in their building just died. And she's like, if, you know, maybe if they knew someone that could bring them somewhere a little further, they would have been okay. Yeah. And it's, it's I think, I think a lot of this, it's exposing a lot of like social issues that we all knew were there, but are just really more in the forefront now. You're absolutely right. Cause I was just going to say these hospitals, let's face facts, not to pipe paint with too broad a brush, but they tend to be in poor neighborhoods, black neighborhoods. Elmhurst is in an immigrant neighborhood. It's it's not uncommon. Mm-hmm. It's, it's messed up. And one of the things that I think is is not making the news as much as it should about my neighborhood is my guess, part of why it's such an epidemic is all of the so-called essential workers who are your delivery people, restaurant workers, tons of them in Elmhurst, Jackson Heights, because it's an immigrant neighborhood. So still packed trains because these people are essential and of course I get it, but they also must feel very expendable. And it's like you said, exposing that, exposing the social issues of that. You must feel the same way sometimes. Oh yeah. That's a really interesting point. I hadn't even thought of that. So like the, you know, you, uh, yeah, you obviously know that neighborhoods, especially in New York, right. New York suburbs are the most um, divided uh, segregated, that's the word I was looking for, segregated area of the country. Um, so you know that that division exists racially, immigrants, you know, socioeconomically, but even like, like you said, the jobs, just what jobs they have is putting them at a higher risk right now. That's something I hadn't even thought about. And that's absolutely right. Cause there are people, even friends I have who are, who are EMTs, um, you know, we get, we get paid, <laughs> poorly, I would literally be making more money on unemployment than I do working full time right now. Um, so I have a lot of friends who 
are like wanted to quit because you know they live home with their parents and they know they'll be okay but a lot of people don't have that luxury that they they got to keep going to work and they know that right I shouldn't be taking the subway I shouldn't be taking whatever and they know what you know as much as we can say oh it's your civic duty to stay inside not everyone has that luxury and um that's again it's something that there there's no like easy answer to that you there's no just oh hand out masks and that's going to fix that it's it's a such a wider issue um yeah i don't know i was hoping some i some something more will come out of this but who knows i don't want to get into politics but someone's got to give it's weird it's weird because it is such a political time and and you know, it's this show. It, it, people call in and talk about their lives, so every every call at least touches on COVID right now. And but I don't think yeah. it's politi- I don't think it's even political at this point to say this thing strained the entire infrastructure of our healthcare system first, and then our entire mm-hmm. economy. I don't think it's political mm-hmm. to show it has shown that systemically this thing is built on a house of cards. I don't even think that's systemic. I think it's just like look yeah. around, look around, and then like you said, the people who can't afford to not make money are the, I'm sure those are a lot of the people winding up in ambulances like yours. It's crazy. Yeah. It's rough. And it, it's so funny that my, my family tends to be very tuned into the news and to international goings on everything. So when this stuff started, I remember in early January uh, when news reports are breaking about the outbreak in China, having a conversation with my family about, oh, this will be really interesting to see whether, you know, this is a test of China's system of the whole, you know, they, you know, can they test if there's a train embargo against them and, and they're the whole communist system of whether it would cripple and collapse under the strain of coronavirus. And mostly China, you know, we, we don't even know the extent of the damage there because, there's an issue with the numbers being falsely reported and all, all that. But everyone was talking about how, oh, my God, this is going to, you know, China's going to collapse under this and it will prove that they've been doing things wrong. And then, you know, it happens here. And I don't think anyone was, even people who are highly critical of the system always, I don't think anyone realized the extent to which we were unprepared for this. Let's pause there, because you have to with this stuff, right? You, you, you have to take a breath and go, if we if we really just keep going down the rabbit hole, it gets too overwhelming. So more than any other, sometimes I make jokes, oh, we need to stretch, take a breath. No, we really do right now. We'll be right back. Hope you enjoyed that break. Now we're going to get back to the phone call. Even people who are highly critical of those system always i don't think anyone realized the extent to which we were unprepared for this yeah um yeah which is scary but i'm hopeful i'm hopeful we'll we'll see yeah I, i tell you it's first of all i have to say you're on long island you you were born and raised there huh yeah i can tell because your accent. Okay, I don't have to be strong a Long Island accent, no, do I? <laughs> you have about as much of a Long Island accent as I have a Jersey one, which is like it comes out at times when I'm like emotional or, or like really getting yeah. a little manic. But I have to say, it like sounds like our things. area where we grew up in a way that I love right now. Like it's it's giving me comfort. Um, but I mm-hmm. wanted to say, you'll get this as an EMT in, in Long Island. Uh, my son was born at uh, Long Island Jewish in New Hyde Park. Which That's is a wonderful hospital. Beautiful. Be- like we researched it. Where should he be born? It was beautiful. We have a friend who's a and nurse. And the Cat there. Women's Center there. That's where he was born. See, I knew you would know your shit. I knew it. I love yeah. talking to my my New York area people, my tri-staters. It's fun to connect. He was at the Katz's Women's Center. They did a fantastic job. Thank you to all the nurses there. Really great experience. But we have a friend who's a nurse there. 
who I've known, I've, I've been friends with her husband for 15 years and her for, you know, almost uh-huh. as long. And she was the first actual friend of ours to come visit Cal, obviously. And I texted her a few weeks ago to say, hey, I'm just thinking of you, hoping you're doing okay. She said, I'm doing all right. They're starting to transfer nurses who are not trained in emergencies over to that side. I don't know. I'm, she's a pediatric nurse. She's like, I don't know if I'm going to have to go. And she goes, I got to say, you wouldn't believe what it looks like compared to when Cal was born. And if you walked into this hospital now, it wouldn't yeah. even look like the same place to you, which dropped my jaw. Yep. I mean, I, I have a friend who works there too, who said the same. I have a friend who works at St. Francis, which is, um, it's called St. Francis, the heart hospital on Long Island. And I always joke that I think people forget that St. Francis is a full scale hospital just because, they are heart specialists, but they, they are like a normal hospital otherwise. So I figured they wouldn't be getting hard hit. Like they're so they're they're over 90 percent of their patients right now are COVID and they've converted. They're in the process of converting their parking garage into a tent hospital. This like everyone. It's, it's just. Yeah, it's all hands on deck, you know. And it's tough because it's like it's hitting this phase where I know I'm not the only one where I'm like, I have to think about other stuff. But you can't. You can't. That's fucked up. You can't just go, I'm going to, I'm going to take the day off from CNN and go read a comic book. You can't do that. And then to hear you saying that you'd be getting more money on unemployment. I just got to express it. That fills me with fucking rage. That is, that is not okay. It's not, it's not okay. It's not okay. Not during this pandemic. And the fact that you're not getting hazard pay right now, that they're not taking care of you guys first unforgivable it's with the, with the stimulus check with the you know the stimulus um the, the trump check with the stimulus package that just passed they're giving uh, just a bonus six hundred dollars a week to people on unemployment and that is how much i make less than six hundred dollars a week working full-time normally so i would be making double my pay on unemployment but it's you, hard because it's uh, like I'm not I'm not I'm not in it for the money, you know, it pays bad normally. I'm not in it for the money. I'm in it because I love what I do and I love patients and I love medicine, but it's um it's definitely frustrating to know like yeah, you know, I had to my my sister in law is pregnant. The first grandchild of my family is gonna be born in a month and I won't be able to meet that kid for at least a couple months, you know, as long as this continues because I can't risk getting that kid's sick. Oh, I'm sitting here um, shaking my head. And no, I'm <laughs> I am. You know, you okay. know when a Jersey guy gets angry, what it looks that. like. You can see it. You know when a Jersey person. We yeah. all know each other. These Long Island. I'm picturing the vein in your forehead. Ooh, I'm ripping my own uh-huh. hair out. I'm pulling uh-huh. my own hair because you could yeah. just quit. Yeah. You could just quit right now. Be making more yeah. money. See, uh-huh. see this new member of your family not be putting your life on the line. And they're giving you no reason. Meanwhile, everything you hear is money, 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 economy, economy, economy. I don't care what your politics are anymore. We got to get over this idea that money's the most important thing because it makes it completely unfair. And it's part of why you're sitting here praying they have masks. When your shift starts, it makes Mm -hmm. me nuts. Mm -hmm. I I have to say, too, I'm laughing at the... um, to, to go off topic for a second, I'm laughing at you saying, you know, your accent comes out more when you're manic. Yeah. I um, I uh, definitely the same drinks, angry, mania, anything that will make it mad. I know I, I ha- I'm, I'm consciously trying to slow down my talking right now. I made the mistake of um, thought it'd be a good idea to go off my Wellbutrin for a little bit, which was not a good idea. And I restarted it today, but my boyfriend kind of pointed out to me, he was like, you are talking very fast all the time. Like, take a breath, slow down. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm like, oh, I bet, yeah, I bet my accent's coming through a little stronger right now. I tell you, when my butrin runs out, there are times where if I'm really busy, I'll go, because I've been on it so long that I know it's in my system. I'll go, you know yeah. what? I don't have time to run to the pharmacy. I'll pick it up in a couple of days and miss it. This time, nope, I realize I'm running low. I'm on Skype with Barb that day going, Barb, hook me up. We got some stuff to talk about. And I'm going to go pick it up at the pharmacy either later today or tomorrow. And it's the first the first time I'm entering a place of business in about a month. 
to get my sweet butrin. Now's not the time to there go off go. the butch. Now, can exactly. I exactly my prescription? That's uh, yeah. No, my go for it. My prescription ran out. I was like, I don't have time to get it. And then yesterday, I was working with my partner. We work together every Tuesday. We love each other. Like you know, we we my boyfriend packed extra snacks and my lunch to bring to her because we're good friends and. I wanted to kill her every second of the shift because I was just so irritated, but I knew it was me. As soon as I started thinking, I'm like, Ugh, everything she's doing is driving me insane. I immediately <laughs> texted my site, was like, I think we've got to, uh, we got to have a little video chat tomorrow yep. morning. Got to yep. renew that prescription. Get me my Wellbutrin, generic name Bupropion. Let's do it. And if you got yep. some Lamictal yeah. to wash it down, I'll take that. Ooh, thank you very much. Same. Lamictal and the Wellbutrin. That's the spot right there. Look at that. It's Some people, they order a cocktail. They might want a gin and tonic. Me, give me the Butrin and Lamictal every day of the week. Mm-hmm. It's gin and tonic, a cocktail oh, I, I haven't drank in so long. I don't even know if that's accurate. Anyway, I'm glad yeah. we found a little moment. I love, here's how dark things are right now. That... You know, I always feel I'm always proud of this show because I feel like when it, even when it goes dark, we tend to find one or two moments of levity. But what you're going through right now is so <laughs> fucked up that our levity is, hey, let's cling to antidepressants. That's been the funniest moment of this episode. That's been the most heartwarming. Is let's drown in antidepressants. Now I had um, maybe a bit of a macabre question for you, if it's okay, because I have you. Yeah, here. go for it. In this show, I am an open book. I answer all questions. I know you're a Long Islander. That's how you guys do it. I'm a Long Islander with bipolar disorder, so I'm. You oh. know, there's no holding back. <laughs> Forget about it. <laughs> now, one of the things that I think clearly did a lot more harm than good was this rumor of like, oh, it's just a really bad flu. I remember saying to my wife at one point, I said to my wife at one point, she was getting really nervous. I go, oh, yeah, but Hallie, if we catch it, it's we're young. It's going to be a bad flu. We'll hunker down. We'll be fine. Kids don't get it. We'll be uh-huh. fine. That clearly has proven untrue. And yeah. now I'm wondering, because there was that piece, I think it, there was that piece in the Times where some some doctors snuck out some video footage of Elmhurst and they embedded mm-hmm. a reporter there. And you start to hear, oh, these ventilators, this means there's like entire floors of hospitals where everyone is in an induced coma on a machine. And yeah. you start yeah. to realize, now you've seen it up close and, and I don't want to be too grim, but... For some people, it's a flu. Some people don't even show symptoms. The sense I get is for that, the people when it does really hit hard, that it's it sounds like it's actually fucked up to the degree that they're not even telling us what it really even looks like to avoid panic. Is that true or false? Is that me assuming too much? Um, well, here's the thing. I, I am not too in tune in what the public is actually hearing. Um, I will say that I... I completely admit I was one of those people that at the beginning of this, I was like, it's another flu, you know, what's the big deal? And I get any pandemic. It's like, all right, yeah, you take precautions, but this isn't that scary. Um, And I think part of it was denial. I had a trip to Puerto Rico coming up and I was really trying to convince myself that I didn't need to cancel that trip. So I was like, it's fine. But um, needless to say that trip was canceled, but, um, I, uh, excuse me, I just, I just swallowed my pill. Um, oh, that's what, yeah, you sounded the, a little farther away from the phone and it's here cause you're yeah, pop, you popping mute. Yeah, I had to pop my butrin, and my, um, my antihistamine for those mm-hmm. allergies. Don't mm-hmm. want to be sneezing and scaring my patients. No, no way. But, um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's tough cause it's like, if you look at the statistics, it is only, we don't even know the true number of what the mortality rate is because we don't know the true rate of infection right now because there's so, relatively speaking, so few people have been tested. But it's not, you know, something like, it's tough because something like, you know, Ebola, you're, it's, you know, not a, not a death sentence, obviously people survive, but it had a much higher mortality rate. But um, the thing, the thing with this, obviously, it's a it's a low mortality rate in the sense of no, it's not a death sentence if you get it. 
most people are asymptomatic. But I think the issue kind of lies in that this stressing that, oh, most people are asymptomatic. A lot of people take that as like a comfort thing of like, oh, well, if I get it, you know, there's a there's a good chance that I'll be fine, that whoever else will be fine. You know, there's been people who are old and high risk and everything who get it and only have mild symptoms. So people take that as a comfort thing. But to me, that's actually the biggest problem with it is that, you know, with Ebola, you have people bleeding out of their eyeballs. So you look at that person and you know, they're sick and you know, you don't want to touch them. But with COVID, um, I feel like I'm going to say this and you're going to have so many doctors and like people <laughs> responding like, that's not how it works. But to, in my opinion, one of the scary things with this is that people hear that like, oh, it's asymptomatic. It's fine. You know, it's, it's, totally, it's not that big a deal because so many people, um, the symptoms are mild. But that's why it's spreading so much because we can't isolate people if we don't know that they're sick. So you could have mild symptoms and, you know, people are saying, oh, you're freaking, I mean, if you cough, people freak out and as if that's so ridiculous, but it, it, it's not because everyone, oh, here comes my mind is moving so fast and speaking sentence fragments. It's like, it's both breeding fear and breeding false security. Um, just depending on which way you as an individual takes it, that this whole, most people have it mild. Most people just have flu-like symptoms. Like, well, then because of that, we don't know who is actually sick and who is spreading it. So it makes it harder to contain. Um, so I don't know. Really, there's lots of people who are experts on this who will tell you the real solutions. We really need to ramp up testing, um, and that will help us. But part of me, it's it's tough. Part of me also feels like we're so far into it. Like what what even will widespread testing do at this point? It's everywhere. Um, so I don't know. It's it's funny hearing what you say. Even different people I work with, it seems like everyone is hearing different things from the news and takes different things from it. So I don't know what I don't know what the news or the government or that anyone should be telling people because. I think no matter what they say, people are going to interpret it differently. There's the people who are going to be over fearful. There's people who are going to be too callous and too, um, or, you know, not afraid enough. And I, yeah, the, the problem, they need to be giving facts, but the problem is we don't, we don't know enough. We don't know what the true facts are. We don't know what the true mortality rate is. We don't know what the true, long-term effects of it are. So it's hard to be truthful with people when we don't really know what the truth is. Yeah. And you've seen it when it's not mild. And I'm sure you must be thinking, everyone stop fucking around (laughs) when it's bad. bad. Now, I want to ask you an off-topic question because I feel like we were saying how you don't often get to take your mind off things and maybe I can take your mind off things for a few minutes and then I do have a million more questions about your job and what you're experiencing right now. Now, you're from Long Island. I'm from New Mm -hmm. Jersey. This means we share something in our culture. When you were in high school, did you like to drive around um, looking at haunted stuff and abandoned stuff? Haunted and abandoned stuff. Okay. Hmm. So I... I know that that is a, obviously a part of Long Island culture. Like everyone grows up, you, you start drinking and like the abandoned office building on the edge of town. Um, <laughs> I don't relate. I was an overachiever in high school who was the president of every single club and on multiple varsity sports and the school spirit team and the debate team and the everything. So um, I did not partake in the driving around looking at abandoned stuff, but I, I think your segue is going to be, that's what it feels like now. And it does. The streets feel very abandoned driving around. Um, Well, what I was going to say was I was going to ask you if you've ever been to the infamous Satan worship house of North Massapequa, because I've been, and it's a pretty good time. I have not. I don't know about this one. Of course, I've seen the Amityville Horror House, of course, but the Satan Worship House, I don't think we have. They're not too far away from each other. The Satan Worship House is a house where supposedly if you drive past the front, 
when you loop around the block, if there were two people in your car, there will be two candles in the window. If there's three people in your car, three candles in the window. And it's because they're watching you. It's because they're watching you. And the sidewalk is painted ah. black. It looks like it looks like Darkwing Duck's house. It's it's wild. Okay. I have to Google this. Yeah. I'll have some time tonight. Maybe I'll be able to go for a drive. Yeah. The ambulance for a joyride. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead and take your mind off being an EMT during the uh, heart of COVID by driving past a house full of Satan worshippers. That's where we're at. Yeah, why don't you go have a giggle and a break and go uh, taunt Satan worshippers who watch you? Um, now, when you're, uh, let's see, I don't even know where to go, man. I don't even know where to go. When you're, how's how's your kid? Uh, he's what's last, what latest milestone have they achieved? Took his first steps last week. So proud of Congratulations. him. Congratulations. Thanks. Now this kid though, this kid, he's like every, I'm, I'm his dad. So I think this, but everybody who meets this kid is like, he's the cutest, he's the cutest child. Like people back when the subways were a thing we could participate in, people would stop my wife. They'd stop Hallie on the subways. They go, that's a beautiful baby. Like, stop her. And you know this from being familiar with Jackson Heights. There is not a safer place to raise a newborn than Jackson Heights because I have found out, and I have so (laughs) much love, because you know Jackson Heights, so many different ethnicities mixing together, so beautiful. Mm Mm-hmm. Nobody loves a newborn baby more than a Hispanic grandmother. There's no one. <laughs> I tell you, we'd be at that Roosevelt to have subway station and you got to take the elevator because we had the stroller. And every single time we were in that subway station, uh, an older Hispanic lady would stop us and go, God bless you. God bless you. And I realized at some point, if I'm ever walking down the street with this kid, and I trip and fall, and he goes up in the air. I live in Jackson Heights, and that means a Colombian lady will catch him before he falls because they care about and love babies so much in my neighborhood. And I know I might get in trouble for saying a stereotype, but I think that that is a beautiful, gorgeous <laughs> stereotype that was proven so true in my that's eyes. A, Thank you to my neighbors in Jackson Heights. It was beautiful. Yeah. It was so beautiful and hilarious to realize uh, we were once in a restaurant. There's a restaurant on Northern Boulevard called the Queensboro. That's like, like sort of showing that Jackson Heights has some gentrified thing, gentrification going on. It's like a brunch spot, but everybody in the neighborhood goes and we went in there the one day we were in there for brunch and, uh, and a lady from across the restaurant yelled an older Hispanic lady stood up and yelled, that's a beautiful white baby. And I like didn't I didn't know how to react because I almost was like, does this make me look racist that this was yelled about my child? So point being, this kid he's walking, he's yeah, starting to walk. If you if you had said, "Look at my beautiful white child," I that should, would be a very different connotation. I should be dragged out into the streets for that. Yeah, I, she's right. If I had stood up and held up a child and said, "Look at my beautiful white baby," can you imagine? Can you imagine? Oh my God, just the thought of it is making me panic and and sweat a little bit. But it was awfully nice that someone else yelled it in a restaurant once I got over the initial fear that someone's saying you have a beautiful child. But man, was that scary. Okay, listen, I've broken the momentum. We'll be right back. Anytime I get to talk to somebody who's in the middle of something like this, it takes the time to talk with me, means the world. Let's finish it off. Had said, "Look at my beautiful white child." That should, would be a very different connotation. I should be dragged out into the streets for that. But if an, if an, yeah, if yeah. a celebrating Hispanic grandmother yells, "You have a beautiful white baby," I don't know how to react to this. My point being, my wife has That's called it out. She's like, "This kid, he rampages around, he breaks stuff, and then when you try to yell at him, he turns around with this smile that glows mm-hmm. with the intensity of the sun." It's beautiful. And my wife said... So now him walking, that's trouble for you, huh? Trouble. And Hallie said, she goes, this kid's going to grow up. And you know what he's going to be? He's going to be the kid who, like, 
toilet papers the neighbor's house and gets caught mm-hmm. and we force mm-hmm. him to go over there and apologize and he like comes back with fresh baked cookies because he's going to charm everybody we're bracing ourselves for him yeah. to be dennis the goddamn menace see this is funny because that's oh my god it kills me to no end. That is exactly what my boyfriend is. I always joke, Mike, if we knew each other when we were younger, we would not have gotten along because he was a menace that tormented his neighborhood. But he's got like little dimples and he would just, he was the golden child. He's Cal's got dimples. Everybody sees, and it's you know so, what they say? Everybody, uh, all the, all the, first of all, I want to say too, Anita Flores, who's one of the producers on the show, typed into our shared chat document, ha 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 fact LOL, as a Hispanic woman, I approve of this stereotype. So that makes me feel better. Here's what every Hispanic grandma in my neighborhood would say. Oh, God bless you, his dimples. Oh, my God, those long eyelashes. This guy and your boyfriend. So your boyfriend, he's a charmer, huh? He's a charmer. How'd you guys meet? Oh, it's a really good story. I'm so happy to share this with the beautiful anonymous community. I last year, anyone who hears this, who knows me will know this is me a hundred percent. Um, last year I, um, I was working in the city, not happy, ended up kind of on a whim, taking a fellowship where I worked in Uganda for six months. Just on a whim? Um, Well, yeah, I applied on a whim. Uh, you know, I got it and there was months of preparation, but I applied like the hour, an hour before the application was due and quit my job the next day before I even found my career back in them. Um, but uh, I spent six months living in Uganda. And the day I got back, um, my family was like, you know, let's, let's celebrate homecoming. What do you want to eat? Chinese food. Because I hadn't had Chinese food in a long time, like Long Island girl needed my Chinese food. So we went to this restaurant that my family has been going to for my parents have been going since they were dating in the eighties. We know the owners we go and whole families there celebrating all the significant others and my friends. So there's 10 of us and there is a family at a table across the restaurant and there's a cute boy there. And I'm kind of smiling. Cause I'm like, Hey, I'm back in America. I'm happy. I'm smiling at everyone. And we're kind of like making eye contact across the restaurant. You know how you do with strangers. Like you kind of give each other those eyes. And then that's generally the end of it. But they get up and leave. And a couple minutes later, the hostess, who also happens to be the owner, who knows my family, walks over with a note in her hands and hands it to me. And I unfold it. And it's his name and his phone number. And turns out what had happened is he had left and had been saying to his sister like oh that girl's kind of cute I should have done something but she was with her family so he called up the restaurant and had a five minute long argument with the owner on the phone about trying to convince her to bring me a note because she was saying I know her family her brothers will beat you up you don't want to do that <laughs> and um true or false true or false he managed yeah managed to convince her and brought me the note and that was last March so it's been a little over a year since then now that's smooth that's pretty smooth yeah to call back and be like can you just drop my neighbor can you just go ahead and here's my number take it down drop it with that pretty lady because I dropped the ball I should have said something there that's pretty charming yeah yeah he's he knows how to turn it on you know those dimples and the everything you learn how to be smooth now you said he's essential as well is he working in medicine as well no he um he is a welder actually so he works in a in a workshop but they um make essential tools and machinery so Mm -hmm. he's still going but that's what he works nights because their their response to this was they split the times that half the people come in in the day half come in at night so um, it works out because I work till eight most nights. So we both get in about two o'clock in the morning, um, you know, or sometimes me later and just a shifted schedule for both of us right now. I like that story. Yeah. But so I very much, I tell everyone, I believe in the string theory, you know, or chaos theory or the butterfly effect, whatever you want to call it, that Every little part of your life leads up to, you know, moments later that 
I was dissatisfied with life for a million different reasons. And I, um, I decided to go on this Uganda fellowship because I wasn't happy with my job and, and all these different things going on. And that I was supposed to do a sort of abroad um, medical uh, volunteer trip in college, but I didn't end up going because of my depression and all of because of, you know, like traumatic experiences in college, all these things that had led up to me making this decision to go away. And then it's when I came back that this was my homecoming dinner is where I met him. So I always say now that I'm like all those things that bothered me for so long that of my bad experiences and my depression and all of the negative things all in my mind accumulated into a positive thing because that's what led to us meeting. Well, for those of us who do have the depression, that's one of the, that's one of the real, you know, it's, it's, it's funny cause I think about, I was in so much pain, but then you tell a story like that. Yeah. And I, I've told people this before where I'm like, you know, you also get to have that realization and, and the mm-hmm. pe- and people who don't go through it, you know, we have, we, we endure a lot of stuff and we hide it cause it's stigmatized and blah, blah, blah. And I think that young people now, it will not be as stigmatized, but then you get to have those moments where you go, okay, this is why I kept fighting because of this. And that's yeah, so good, you know? So it's, good. it's, I know a cliche, but the, the darkness makes the light seem brighter is I have found definitely has truth in my life. I know that I, uh, my version of that, which I don't know if I've ever talked about publicly before, was my mom once wrote me this letter a couple of years ago when my career got going. It was handwritten, showed up in the mail. So I was like, this is weird. We got emails. What's going on? And it was a very lovely letter that I'll keep forever. And one of the things she said, she goes, look, I want you to know that sometimes now that you've told me about how hard it was for you as a kid at times. I sometimes have felt guilty wondering what should I have been doing different? And she goes, but now I see who you've turned into. And I got to say, I don't think I would change things even if I could go back and do it because you are who you are and you've, and you've used it to help people. So I don't think I would change it. And as you can Beautiful. imagine, I cried forever. Because <laughs> I got to have that. Most Beautiful. people don't get to have that. Yeah. With their, with their no. people in their lives. I got to have that. That's what, that's the type of thing you get as a reward since you keep fighting through all the mental bullshit. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned that the you're background working. On my... Oh, sorry. You go for it. Say it. Oh, no, I, the background, the background on my phone my screen my you know wallpaper is a quote that says i love the person i've become because i fought to become her and i saw somewhere like stupid like on instagram or something but i love that quote that's a good little love reminder it. to have my phone background here's my reminder when i did my hbo taping of my special about depression yeah. my mom gave me a gift which was a paperweight and inside it had a butterfly and the quote underneath it said, just when the caterpillar was about to give up, he turned into a butterfly. And once again, Aww. cried forever. Very Hallmark card. You're a butterfly. Cried forever. My mommy thinks my mommy thinks I'm a butterfly. Let me ask you this. You mentioned you're working these 16-hour shifts. How many days a week are you working? It depends. So at my company, full-time is either three 13-hour shifts or four 10 hour shifts. Um, I currently am assigned to two 13 hour shifts because I had another job previously and I I worked between the two. Um, And then I just pick up. So right now I work Tuesdays, Fridays, a 13 hour shift that usually turns into like 16 hours. And then I usually pick up an additional 13 hour shift um, just sometime during the week, whatever's open. And then tonight what I'm doing is actually a mini shift. It's the rapid response. So we don't do any discharges or any transfers. We just stand, we're like on standby for emergencies. So it's only a six hour shift. Now, So in a given week, I end up working minimum is 26 hours is what I'm assigned to. But then I usually end up doing 
between 50 and 60. 50 and 60. Now that's, so you don't have much time off. What do you do with your time off? Um, who I paint, I've gotten back into, see, that was the problem. I slapped a little butrin for a couple of weeks and I started painting a lot more. And I was like, Ooh, I like that. I'm painting a lot, but it's, it was a lot, you know, it's a lot of paintings that I know I started and I might not ever finish. So that's not great. Um, right, right, right. but I paint, I read a lot. I'm a nerd. So I'm constantly just reading articles all day long, learning whatever I can. Um, my boyfriend and I just planted a garden in the backyard, so I'm attempting at being a gardener. But usually, I don't. I don't exactly have a green thumb. Every plant I've ever had has died. So mainly, that's his project, and I get to assist. Very calming, soothing activities. I'm glad to hear that. Next question. Yeah. And we only have eight minutes left. This one has really moved, and I thank you for all of your candor. Let me ask you this next question. Go ahead. People like me, who aren't in the thick of it, like you are, people listening, yeah. what can they be doing to help you? I know I donated to a GoFundMe to send meals to Elmhurst Hospital. That felt cool, I guess. I wish I could do more. What are the things we can be doing from home that help people like you right now? Yeah. Oh, God. People keep asking me this. I never have good answers. I should have been prepared. Um, and so everyone has to look up to their local, you know, look up what exists for you locally. So I know... Um, yeah, in parts of New York, in parts of California, I've seen at different places, they are like GoFundMe's that are going to pay local restaurants who are seeing like reduced business to make food for hospital workers. So that's awesome. Killing two birds with one stone, helping out the restaurant industry and the healthcare workers. Um, there's, you know, there's organizations that are buying masks for people. Um, Terms of people are like making masks and sending them to the hospitals is really sweet. I'm not going to disapprove anyone doing that. The issue is a lot of those masks are not actually medical grade. They don't, cotton masks don't actually like filter as much particulate out as like a surgical mask would. So in my opinion, everyone, all average people need to, you know, can have their own sort of reusable cotton mask so that they stop buying the surgical masks that need to be in the hospital. Um, and then, you know, there's just a lot. I'm less concerned about helping out the healthcare workers, to be honest, because even though, yeah, there's so much, like we need it. It's, it's such a systemic, you know, it's a supply chain issue of is the stuff being distributed. Right. And I don't, I think that's bigger than any one person perhaps. Um, so I encourage everyone, you know, Donate to your local food bank. There's a lot of people in need right now. And, uh, yeah, a lot of people out of work. Donate to food banks. Support your local restaurants. Support your local small businesses. Whatever you can do to support your community. You are truly selfless. I ask you what I can do to help you, and you say go out and help others. That's a, a miracle. You're a truly selfless person in a way. I wish I was. Now, I want to ask this one. Here's a tough one. So one of the things we've all heard is that when you come down with this thing, when you call 911, mm -hmm. one of the things you're told is if it's not severe, ride it out because we can't, unless you need to be in a hospital, we can't send you an ambulance. So yeah. this tells me that you're picking up the people who have hit that point, who are going, this is officially a crisis. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I can't imagine the things that you're doing as far as the equipment you have to use. What do you say to these people as they get into your ambulance? Because emotionally, mentally, they must be, the idea of that you go, okay, I've hit a point where I have to head into a hospital and I've heard what's going into the, on in the hospitals right now. They must be so scared. Yeah, yeah. So I'm here's the thing where I don't know if, if most people know the difference between an EMT and a paramedic. A paramedic is higher level training that you can do most of the stuff like a, an RN can do. Um, you know, you can intubate someone, you can put an IV in them, you can dispense all sorts of medications. Um, for EMTs, it's 
DLS basic life support. So medically speaking, there's not actually all that much we can do for you. You know, I can do CPR. There are certain medications I can give out. I can, you know, we have oxygen and breathing therapies, but in most situations, there's not all too much we can do for you other than drive as fast as we can to get you to, to an ER. So I've always, before COVID, I always said this, that about half the job of being an EMT, uh, you know, in my opinion, is being there for people, you know, and holding their hand and saying, it's going to be okay. I think a lot of people um, tend to kind of get like caught up in the adrenaline of certain calls and, you know, or even in cases where it's something not that serious and, you know, people, people sometimes are focused on the actual, um, on the injury or the paperwork or the whatever it is. And um, I think a lot of times the best thing you can do is kind of just like put the paperwork down and hold someone's hand and just like not be afraid of, you know, touching them and talking to them and just talking them through it and, you know, focus on keep breathing and deep, slow, deep breaths. It's going to be okay. Just focus on the breathing and um, you know, a lot of kind of stereotypical calming techniques, but just just being there for someone and being willing to put out your hand and just, you know, be another human that's there to comfort them when they're alone. I will say this and another Hallmark card moment. We've had a couple on this call, <laughs> but I'll tell you this at the very top. I said, thank you. And I said, I also know it's a frustrating thing. And you explained, you see the people with the masks cheering for you. It's very nice, but also just give us the masks and go home. So yeah. I was, <laughs> here's something I'll say towards the end of our call. Now that I've heard you and hearing what you just said, I will say this, having talked to you for this hour, hearing how gracious you are, how selfless you've been, how much you're willing to work for people beyond yourself. I will say this, God forbid anything ever happened to me or someone I love. I'm glad to know you're out there because you're the exact type of person I would want holding my hand. Oh, I'm going to cry. Well, Thank you've probably you. done enough of that in recent weeks. So we can just talk yeah. about the Satan worship oh, house no, again, I, if you'd rather. Not too many things get to me. Not too many things get to me, but a couple things. Yesterday, a couple of children driving by stopped our ambulance, and a couple of three-year-olds said thank you in their cute little voices, and I lost it. Not too many things get to me. That did. Interesting. Thank you. That means a lot. Yeah. We got a minute left. Yeah. I don't know what you want to say. My closing thought is, good God, can we get the people in the thick of it a little more money? Can we please? Can we please? No. Can we please uh, I'll put yeah. that out there? Cause you, it's not as classy for you to say my closing thoughts are pay me. I will say. Broke my, my closing thought is that. a funny, a funny anecdote that last week, I'm sure you've seen these videos of like local fire departments going to hospitals and, and mm -hmm. the fire, the firemen all stand out and cheer for the people, you know, at shift change mm -hmm. that happened at one of my local hospitals last week. And I had, I thought I was going to have a heart attack going into the building because I just saw a fire truck, the sirens, and I thought the hospital was burning down. So I was freaking out like, that's the last thing we need right now, the hospital burning down. And you can imagine my relief when I realized, no, nope, they were just there to clap for us. So Ugh. there are, you know, like you said, it's finding the humor in like the small, dark moments to get you through. So you have this moment where you're like, there's not even room to walk in there. Please don't let there be a fire. Oh, they're cheering for us. Yeah. There's a silver lining. I was like, but turn around, I guess. You got to go to a different hospital. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, they're just, they're just here to be nice. Well, honest to God, this was eye-opening to hear you say all this in your own words right now. Um, actually makes me feel so much better and so much like I'm not just clicking headlines that are very sensational. Can't can't tell you how much I appreciate it. I know you got so many other things you could be doing rather than dwelling on this stuff. And it, it, it just really means a lot. I'm sure to a lot of us listening that you would 
you would take one of the hours where you're not doing that to do this instead. So thank you. It was the perfect timing, exactly an hour between my boyfriend leaving and me having to leave. Literally, I'm going to, once we hang out, I'm going to go put on my shoes and head out the door. Well, stay safe, stay healthy, and uh, thanks for holding everybody's hands tonight. And we need people thanks like you. I'm, I'm glad I got to hear from you. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for lifting my spirits. Have a good night. have to say again to our caller, it, it, it means the world that you called. It means the world that you're out there doing what you're doing. Thank you a thousand times over for everything. Everything that you put forth in this call and that you're doing for the world at large means a lot. And I hope people out there, especially listen to that part and said, don't buy up the masks, support your local food banks, find the GoFundMe to support the people in the hospitals, the nurses, the doctors. Selfless caller. I said, how can we help you? She answered, here's how you can help everybody else. Thank you, caller. Thank you, Jared O'Connell. Thank you, Anita Flores. Thank you, Shellshag. Thank you to all Hispanic grandmas in my neighborhood who look out for my baby. Hey, if you like the show, go to Apple Podcasts, rate, review, subscribe. It really helps when you do. If you want the entire back catalog of Beautiful Anonymous, not just the last six months, go to Stitcher Premium. Go to stitcherpremium.com slash stories. They're all sitting there. You can get all the details. Thanks so much for listening, and maybe I'll talk to you next time. Yeah.